A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. That was Proverbs 13.22 and the LSB, and this is Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. So this is the 100th episode of Theana Money, breaking into the triple digits now, so I'm going to be taking a little bit of a different approach with this episode than a typical one. I'm going to first talk about the background of Theana Money and how it came to be and a little bit about myself. And then we're going to take some time to look at Proverbs 13.22 since I reference it at the start of every episode. Before we jump into that, I just want to ask you all that if you like Theana Money, please share it with a friend. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast and uh, subscribe to it turn on the auto download if your podcast catcher has some kind of rating or something like that you can give it like on apple Podcasts, please do so and uh, if you think the podcast deserves five stars give it five stars if you don't you don't need to give it a rating so the background of theana money brandon scalf wanted me to start a podcast honestly to sum up the background in one sentence that's that's how it goes Some of the listeners are probably familiar with him and uh, maybe with his church uh, heritage in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So in 2020, before Brandon had met his wife, Lacey, and before I had met my wife, Rose, we became roommates, which would last until uh, Brandon moved out to marry his wife at the end of 2021. I, in God's providence, closed on my house in January of 2020 just before the lockdown that March and the subsequent rise in house prices. And Brandon rented one of the rooms from me for the better part of two years. By the way, to make this somehow still be related to economics this episode, I was actually considering waiting longer to buy a house because I recognized back then we were in a little bit of a housing bubble and I thought maybe in another year or two the housing bubble will pop and I can buy a house cheaper. But then I thought, you know what? If I buy a house now and two years from now, it's worth $10,000 less because the housing bubble burst. Well, I would have spent more than $10,000 on rent. So sure, I might be losing money if my house goes down in value $10,000 in the first year or two, but I'll have lost more money putting that money into rent where it's just gone at the end of the month instead of into a house where I at least get equity built into the house each month with my mortgage. And uh, then, you know, everything happened. The housing bubble is now way larger and in God's providence, What I thought was making a somewhat good economic decision turned out to be a really great economic decision. Anyways, back to the background of Theana Money. At the time, we were building the Fill the Earth Network that ended up not really coming to anything. Brandon asked me about starting a podcast fighting critical theory and intersectionality. I was his and some other people's go-to person on those subjects for a while. And I will give the background why here in a moment. I told him no. I didn't think I'm smart enough to tackle those. 
And there are guys already tackling those issues that are doing a fine job doing it. Guys like A.D. Robles, John Harris, Virgil Walker, Daryl Harrison, Vody Bauckham, and Dr. James White. How I got into fighting critical theory in general, and critical race theory more specifically, and the related intersectionality, or just CRTI for short, with a slash between the CRT and the I that you don't see because I'm talking, you're not reading. Fighting that began because of the Gospel Coalition and their MLK 50 conference. I think it was the fall of 2017. I thought TGC was good and I couldn't believe this ministry was going to have a conference the following spring celebrating the heretic and serial adulterer Martin Luther King Jr. If you don't know much about his less favorable qualities, the man denied the resurrection, which the Apostle Paul says that any who deny are not Christians in 1 Corinthians 15, and he cheated on his wife often, sometimes with multiple people at the same time, to try to say that in a PG manner. Fast forward to April 2018, I was listening to what Dr. James White was saying, critiquing the movement, and listening to what they were saying, leaning towards thinking James White is correct, but wanting to give both sides a fair shake to make sure he was really right on this. I went to T4G 2018, which happened a week or two after MOK 50, and was basically a second MOK 50, with Ligon Duncan saying some dumb woke stuff and not being alone in that. I even remember during uh, T4G 18 mentioning James White and basically being told, hey, like, don't mention him right now. People don't like him because of, you know, what he's been saying, the stuff he was saying, fighting the woke movement back then. So I end up realizing how bad all of this stuff is and hoping the guys on podcasts I listened to would come to the same conclusion. And one by one, I started hearing them come out against it, which was comforting. Gabe Hughes of WWUTT, Durbin and the others of Apologia, and the Cross-Politic Eyes all came out condemning the woke movement. I was happy to hear them do so. I was finishing up my junior year in college, and because I was one of the only people around studying this stuff and fighting it, I, with my lack of knowledge on this, was the one my friends were going to asking questions because what little I knew was more than what they knew. So as much as I did not want this to be my thing, I rose up to the challenge and studied it more so that it would become my thing. Because if not me, then who? And that thought happened, I think, in May of 2018. So I was only like a month into studying this stuff and fighting it when I basically rose to the prominent position among my friends because I was like two or three weeks ahead of them in it. That August, I discovered the Just Thinking podcast, thanks to the guys from the Bar Podcast Network. JT was not even a year old yet, and not very well known at that point. A month later, I was in the library at my Bible college discussing, or perhaps debating is a better term, this stuff with a professor at my college who was firmly in favor of the woke stuff. I think this was the week after the statement on social justice and the gospel came out. He asked what black person was involved in writing that document. Or maybe it was involved in fighting the woke movement in general, but I think it was specific to writing that document. And I told him Vody, but he didn't think Vody should count. I guess Vody Bauckham is too white or something. So I told him Daryl Harrison, but this was before Daryl was a big name, 
And the guy didn't know who Daryl Harrison was at the time, and that made Daryl not count in his opinion either. Enough about that, which ended up being longer than I intended for it to be. And let's focus more on theonomony. So it's 2020, and Brandon wants me to start a podcast to add to the repertoire he is building for the Fill the Earth Network. I told him no when he asked for me to do one critiquing CRTI, like I already said. My idea was to do a podcast analyzing anime from a Christian worldview, looking at themes and characters and plots and seeing how they align and do not align with the Christian worldview. Brandon thought that was dumb and said no. If I wanted to do a podcast like that, it would not be part of the Fill the Earth Network. Brandon recommended I start an economics podcast. He said we needed a podcast on economics as part of the Fill the Earth Network in order to have a robust variety of podcast themes in the network, and I was the best guy among us to do a podcast on economics. I did not think I was capable of that, that I do not know enough about economics to start a podcast on the subject though I probably already knew more about economics back then than some people out there with economics podcasts. I was thinking about it and thought maybe I can do a podcast that is about theonomy and economics, that looks at economics from a theonomic standpoint and sometimes focuses more just on theonomy. Brandon liked the idea. I was thinking of names, trying to figure out what name I would give it. One name idea I had was the soul of economics. Soul spelled like Thomas Sowell's last name, not S-O-U-L. But I thought he is still alive and a podcast using his name like that needs to be done years after he died. Otherwise, that's just wrong. Then I thought of uh, putting uh, theonomy and money together into a single name and the name Theonomony was born. I thought Brandon would make fun of the name, but when I told him, He actually liked it. It took some time from there to get some plans made and the logo designed. I had some delays on the logo and I finally launched Theonomony in May of 2021. For the the first couple weeks, Theonomony was only on Sermon Audio. Great place to get lots of good content, by the way. Which is why it says the podcast launched in June of 2021, if your podcast catcher says the month and year the podcast started. Because the first Friday in June was when the third podcast episode dropped. And uh, that was when I officially got it going on podcast catchers, not just Sermon Audio. Unfortunately, the podcast, The Honor Money, is not on Sermon Audio anymore. I think that only lasted for several months. The Honor Money was not the first podcast I was a part of. Before this, I hosted the Dead Men podcast. Not the original one that my friend Colin Andrade hosted. But this was a relaunch of it that Noah Wyatt and I hosted together. Then our friends Jared Ebert, Thomas Gissler, and Colton Griffith came on as well, and we would alternate two of us per episode. Before the short-lived Dead Men Ministries relaunch, the five of us were part of a blog called The Redemptive Lens, which is uh, why when I do a short episode on off weeks that is devotional, not about economics or theonomy, I call those The Redemptive Lens episodes to honor that blog we used to do together. I've been busy this year and haven't put one of those out since the first one in February, but I plan to do more eventually. And if any of you like Beautiful Eulogy, the name of that blog came from uh, the name of one of their songs called The Vital Lens. 
But I told the guys we can't take the name of one of their songs and call our blog that. So we have to change it. And we came up with The Redemptive Lens. The blog was never that big. I'm pretty sure that my article critiquing a intersectionality and standpoint theory from a Christian revelational epistemology perspective was the biggest article we ever published. Partially because it came out the week before George Floyd died, and we shared it like crazy after that. And that article only got 200 or maybe 250 views. So that was some background on Theana money and a bit of background about myself as well. Let's now take some time to look at Proverbs 13.22, the verse that I reference at the start of every episode of Theana money. I read it at the start of the episode, but since we're about to look at it in more detail, let's read Proverbs 13.22 again. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. The verse says that the good man works hard to leave an inheritance to his grandchildren, not just to his children, but to their children as well. Before diving more into what this entails, I want to say that I think there are two opposing ditches we can go into when it comes to interpreting this verse. The one is to say that this only refers to leaving monetary inheritance for your children, or monetary and otherwise physical, like land, which is what a lot of inheritance in Israel was. The other ditch is to say that this does not include any money or goods at all, and this is all about spiritual inheritance, as in teaching your children about God. Now, if you leave $10 million to each of your children and grandchildren, but you do not raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and they all grow up apostates, or they don't even classify as apostates because they never profess the faith to begin with, then you have failed as a father or mother, if you are a female listening to this but there is even greater responsibility on the father as the head of the family. It is better for your children to grow up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, become believers by the Lord's sovereign grace, and be raised to know scripture and theology well, and to receive a modest inheritance, than to be raised without any of those things and have the kind of massive inheritance that only the super wealthy can afford to pass down to their children and grandchildren. But we do not have to have a dichotomy there, choosing one over the other. Sure, you or I will probably never be able to afford to split up $10 million between all of our children and grandchildren, let alone leave that much behind to each one of them. But we can strive to raise our children in the faith and with a good grasp of scripture and a love for God, and we can work hard to leave them money and goods after we pass in order to help them out. Maybe the money can pay off that minivan they had to buy after their third kid was born, or pay off the mortgage, or buy the needed equipment to start a business, or some other good thing. But I want to broaden this out to more than just leaving behind money and leaving behind a spiritual inheritance. As you are raising your children, and to the degree of influence you have on your grandchildren as they are growing up, teach them to work, and to work hard, and to work smart. Teach them to work smarter, not harder, but to not use that as an excuse to be lazy, but to still work hard. Give them a childhood that prepares them to be a business owner, to be employers for others rather than employees to others, so that they are already doing quite well for themselves before you go to be with the Lord and leave behind your inheritance to them. 
don't be the person who says that your kids have enough so you can give it all to the local humane society or even to a good Christian organization like Heartcry Missionary Society. Sure, support Heartcry. They are great and are perhaps my favorite missions organization out there. But if you don't leave an inheritance to your children in the name of uh, dedicating it to missions, are you much different than the Pharisees refusing to support their parents in their old age by the Corban rule? The main difference is just whether we are talking about children to parents or parents to children. Don't be the person who says that you want to die with no money left in the bank because you spent it all, even if you spend it all on good things, not frivolous, wasteful things. Or do you try to die with little money in the bank because you gave it to your children and grandchildren over a number of years before your passing? That way they can avoid both gift taxes and inheritance taxes and thus receive more of the money for themselves by perfectly legal tax avoidance. So yeah, I do want to die with not much money left in the bank because I already gave it to my kids and their kids in order for them to avoid inheritance taxes as much as possible. Now, and in order to transition to some examples and then applications of this idea to today, think about what this means practically. You must do without some things you have the right to in order to have money and goods to pass on to your children. If you are elderly and have a lot of money in the bank, you are within your rights as the one who earned that money to do something like take extravagant vacations multiple times a year, blowing tens of thousands of dollars on them. Or you can take more modest vacations and let that money grow in investments in order to provide for your children and grandchildren. Or you can take a vacation to see some great sight and take your children and grandchildren with you so that they can experience more of the world and God's creation than their ordinary everyday lives offer to them, which is one of the most important parts of vacation in my opinion. So doing without some things that are within your rights to use so that you can give more to your children and grandchildren so that they can build and have a better live lives for themselves. Then they can do the same with their children and grandchildren and you have a snowballing effect and generational wealth that, though one foolish generation can destroy it, which is where the need for spiritual as well as physical inheritance comes in, over generations you can build powerful Christian families with much wealth that they can use to do much good with, providing more than well for their families, providing for others in need, giving to churches and various ministries, starting businesses, loaning money to other believers so that they too can start businesses that need some capital at the outset, supporting missionaries and other things besides these that glorify God and grow his kingdom. Now I want to turn to look at a few negative examples of this, or rather, examples of the exact opposite of this verse, examples that are in clear disobedience to it. One is from the Bible, and the other is an example right here and now. By the way, I know in this I'm not doing a normal exegesis walking through the text like when I was preaching through Romans when I was the pastor at the Korean church. This isn't your normal exegetical sermon. I more just read the verse. It's pretty straightforward. I'm not even looking at the second half. I'm only looking at the first half. And I'm basically just jumping straight from uh, reading the verse to application. That is very dangerous most of the time. You want to 
look at the text, understand its original context, understand it in light of uh, scripture as a whole, you know, broader context, scripture as a whole, different ways people have interpreted throughout church history. And after you've gotten like the meaning of the text and all of that, then move to application. I'm doing a little bit of skipping that here. Normally that's dangerous. It's a very straightforward verse. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I mentioned historical context that in ancient Israel, this inheritance was probably more land-based than it was money, at least for a lot of people, you know, maybe animal-based like cattle and stuff too. Uh, so just letting you know, like when I was preaching through Romans, this wasn't the normal way I preached through Romans. Those uh, sermons were much more exegesis heavy than this kind of applying the text is right here. Anyway, so the examples of the opposite of the idea of this verse. Look at Isaiah 38 and 39, as we see when Hezekiah gives us an example of the opposite of leaving a material and spiritual inheritance for his descendants. He has an attitude that is completely antithetical to the idea of Proverbs 13.22. The first verse of chapter 38 tells us that Hezekiah is sick to the point of death, and Isaiah, the prophet of God, comes to Hezekiah to tell him that he is about to die. So he ought to get everything in his household set up and in order for that to happen. After that, we read that Hezekiah calls out to God and God sends the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah to say that God has heard his prayer and will heal him of his sickness and give him another 15 years of life. So Hezekiah got to be one of the few people in history who knew when he was going to die far in advance. So Isaiah tells Hezekiah that God will heal him and he will live for another 15 years. Gives Hezekiah a sign that this is true. And after he recovers, Hezekiah writes a song of praise to God, which we read in verses 10 to 20. So far, so good. But look at the next chapter. Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, heard that Hezekiah was sick and is now recovering. And he sends messengers to Judah with letters and a present for Hezekiah. Hezekiah shows off all of his riches to the envoys from Babylon, possibly to boast and show off to them about how great he is. I'm not sure, but considering the consequences Hezekiah faces for doing this, there was likely some sinful motive behind it. Verse 2 describes it. And Hezekiah was glad about these things and showed them all his treasures, all his treasure house, the silver and the gold and the spices and the good oil and his whole armory and all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then we read in verses 5 to 7. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of Yahweh of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have treasured up to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says Yahweh. And some of your sons who issue from you, whom you beget, whom you will beget, will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. God, through the prophet Isaiah, prophesies the coming exile of Judah to Hezekiah in judgment on what he did in verse 2. How did Hezekiah respond? Did he weep and mourn over this judgment that would come on his descendants? Did he ask God to bring judgment upon himself instead and spare his grandchildren and their grandchildren? No. 
Instead, we read this in the last verse of chapter 39, in verse 8. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of Yahweh which you have spoken is good. For he said, There will be peace and truth in my days. Hezekiah did not heed the wisdom of doing without so that his descendants could have more. He saw that disaster would come upon his descendants, and he said that it was good because he would be long dead before tragedy struck. Friends, that should not be our attitude. Our attitude should be to weather what part of the storm we can, getting as high up the mountain as we are able to go in our lifetimes, so that our children can start from where we left off and make it higher up than we did. That is a post-millennial view of the future and future generations. Now, don't take that too far and think you need to never let a bad thing happen to your kids ever. The world is difficult. We live under the curse and they need to be hard and tough and be able to work hard. But that does not mean that you make life unnecessarily hard for your kids just because it makes your life a little bit easier. You don't need to spend your children's inheritance on foolish, selfish endeavors. And if you do, at least don't buy a bumper sticker celebrating it. Now, for a more modern example, we are doing the opposite of the principle of Proverbs 13.22 with our debt. We are sacrificing the future of our children for our present prosperity. We have all kinds of welfare, welfare that often causes more harm than good. If you are familiar with the writings of men like Thomas Sowell, you know some of what I'm talking about. We grind the economy to half of what it was before for a month and then give out checks to every household in the nation, strapping our children and grandchildren with not only more debt than the already crippling debt we had laid on them, but harming the economy they have to work in in order to pay back that debt. And for those already born and old enough to be in school, harming their learning process as they are out of school for the duration of the lockdown and then forced to wear masks that restrict breathing and understanding of facial features, crippling their future even more. In the name of a virus that for most people without severe comorbidities was not much more than the flu, if that, when I had it, all I really had was a stereotypical cold and the worst headache I had had in a long time. And when I had Omicron, I felt miserable and had a fever the first day, was significantly improved the second day, and almost back to normal the third day. And that was it. You know, third, fourth, fifth day, it was like a light cold. I think that was it. But in the name of that and the Great Reset, we severely damaged our economy, the supply chain, and saddled our children and grandchildren with trillions of dollars of debt all to make ourselves feel better and help some bureaucrats in their personal vendettas. That is the opposite of leaving an inheritance to your children's children. This is the opposite of doing without in order to make a better path forward for your descendants. This is forcing them to have to do without because of your foolish, selfish choices to benefit yourself here and now, not caring what happens when you are in a nursing home or dead, much like Hezekiah's attitude in Isaiah 39. Socialism also does the opposite of Proverbs 13.22, as it sacrifices the future for the benefits of the present. Similarly, abortion does as well, 
as instead of a par the parent saying, I'll die for you, or metaphorically similar saying that I'll do with less so that you can have more, in abortion, the parent says to the child, you die for me. If we spent more time thinking about the implications of this verse, we could come up with many ways we are going against the idea of it and its applications to our detriment. And how many people in a Christian faith seeking to obey this verse would set right much of what is wrong in the United States and other countries around the globe. May I encourage you, listener, to think what are ways that in your realm of influence you can make changes to put off disobedience to this verse, whether in action or attitude, and to put on obedience to it, to make plans for obedience to it in the future when it comes to your old age and planning for after your death. How can obeying this verse over the course of generations change the world? That was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Satisfies me Your law is sweet Oh, you satisfy